When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. In this episode of Boss Files, Kevin O'Leary, he's better known as Mr. Wonderful from the ABC hit show Shark Tank. Now the entrepreneur is squarely focused on one thing, returns. So where does he find most of those returns coming from these days? Women run businesses. I sat down with him in March in New York to ask him about that and also to find out if he has always been supportive enough of women in business. They call you Mr. Wonderful. That's because it's true. Why are you so wonderful? You know, I just tell the truth all the time. Oh, really? That's what matters. And I think in business, you have to think about that a little bit because business is different than anything else. It's binary. It's black and white. So if you think about the truth, it's the best way to go. Be honest. Even though it brings up emotional issues sometimes, I'd rather tell somebody they have a bad idea and they're wasting their money when it's a truth. Where does the name come from? We think it, it came from early in um, season one when Barbara, who I worked with, as you know, was beside me on Shark Tank, was being very sarcastic. And I made an offer to somebody and said, well, I'll buy 51% of the company because I want control. And she said, isn't he just Mr. Wonderful? And I thought, yes, he is. And it, it, you know, it's one of those things that just stuck. I'm amazed because I show up in hotels now and they don't know my name. They just call me Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> is is the Kevin O'Leary that is sitting with me now the same one as on TV? Because your edges seem a little softer right now. No, I do when it comes to business. Um, that's me. I, I really am binary that way. I think it's important to deal with the facts in business because, you know, if you think about giving someone encouragement when there is no reason and the idea has no merit and it's going to go bankrupt anyways, you're doing them a huge disservice. Hmm. You should tell somebody when you know they're going to lose all their money. And that's what I do. I'm the honest one. And, you know, maybe people don't react well to that sometimes, but it doesn't change the fact. Here's the thing, Poppy. If you always tell the truth to somebody, yeah. you never have to remember what you said. That's true. So you that's how I am. never have a hard time. Here's the headline. You've come out and said that of all the businesses you've invested in, the only ones in the last two quarters that have been making any money are the ones run by women. Well, let me qualify that. I have 32 private companies in my portfolio. Many of them came from the Shark Tank investments I've made. These are companies that generally have sales of between five and 300 million. So they're small cap, but they're still significant businesses. And back in December of 2014, um, going through the year-end audit, and by now it had a pretty big portfolio, the auditor said we should do a, a going means test on these companies. In other words, 
some of these are going to have to be written off. That's the nature of venture investing. Not everything works out. Let's go look at them all and determine which ones in the calendar year 2015 are going to be write-offs. I said, okay, and while you're at it, and they said this, why don't we figure out if there's any common commonalities between the ones that are working and the ones that aren't? Yeah. I said, great, go ahead. While you're at it, take some of my team and do the analysis. And do it. Because it would be great to know what, what's working, what doesn't. So when exactly was this analysis done? And what are we talking about in terms of numbers, in terms of how recently? This is very basic. It was done in 2014, the last quarter, December. The work was done in January, February, March of the 2015. Right. And what we learned, and it was very interesting data, was that not some of my returns, all of my returns were coming from companies either owned or run by women. So that was extremely interesting for me because I'm not into you know gender warfare I don't care I would give a goat money if I could make money with a goat so th the point is what is it about women in in small and mid-cap companies that are achieving so much success in terms of the only metric that matters return of capital and this was at the end of 2014 or end of 2015 No, this numbers. is during the calendar year 2015 this is last year. Yeah, so this is re very, very recent. recent. And, and so what happened? So what, what is it, Kevin? So here's what I think. Why are we so good? Because women set goals that are achievable in business. They don't take inordinate risk and set goals that nobody can achieve. When you set goals for your employees that you can achieve, that generally builds morale. It gets better results. They don't take as much risk in terms of how they deploy the capital of the company. They're as concerned as anybody else with their family's money and they want returns. Generally, I'm a shareholder right beside them. Right. And when they pay themselves, I get paid too. When was the first time you realized this? Because you've said, you, you, you've talked about this before. You've said, for example, last year, women make better CEOs, all things being equal. Given the choice between a woman and a man, I would pick a woman every time. Yes, when I would. When did that light go off in Be your head? Because my own experience has been that when I put capital at risk with women, I get it back. That's what I've learned. And so my natural propensity, given that fact, agnostic to geography, agnostic to sector. It, these are businesses all over America. They're in all kinds of different areas and different things. And the women run or owned ones send me checks. I get my money back. <laughs> Look at Wicked Good Cupcakes run by a mother-daughter team, one of the first to come on Shark Tank that was a royalty deal. I gave them $75,000 to open a commercial kitchen in Cohasset, Massachusetts, very close to my home. I thought to myself, well, it's close enough I can drive to it, I can go see how things are going. That has been an unmitigated monster success. They are now employing over 40 people. They've diversified into all kinds of different products. And Tracy and Danny, the, the mother-daughter team, are just knocking it out of the park. My own accountant says, look at these checks every month. And, and you know, this is a business that is a commodity. It's cupcakes. Anybody can make a cupcake. Right. Why are they so successful? Because they set goals, they achieve them, and then they build from their successes. You've had a long career, a storied career. Um, do you think you've always been fair to women in business? Before this light went off in your head, when you look back, Kevin, at your career, did you maybe not give some women the shot they deserved? It's a fair question, and, I'll, and you're right. Years ago, when I would take a put risk capital out, particularly in my venture portfolio, I tended to do what the industry has done. 
favor men just because those were the ones that were getting funded. That is not what I do today. My results are basically black and white. They are telling me that in America today, we are not using enough women in management. There is no question about that. And I'm not the only person who's starting to realize this. No. The returns matter. The actual, in business, it's, it really is about returns. It's about an internal rate of return. It's about return of capital. I find the same thing in, in my investment business, O-Shares. You know, I, I have an ETF company. I meet all kinds of financial advisors today. I'd say about 30% of them are women. And those women who actually are investing money for men as well are doing a phenomenal job in reducing volatility and getting returns. They're, they're, they're wired to mitigate risk. I think it comes from running families. Women run families. Those are businesses, you basically. You want something done, give it to a busy mom. It's true. Right? So this is something I cover day in and day out. Why are the numbers then so paltry? Why do so few women run Fortune 500 companies? Why did Germany have to institute a quota for women on their boards? I think that's all going to change. It's all going to change over the next, I think, in the next five to ten years. Not because we have some gender, gender social mission. It's about returns. The real reason it's going to change is women are knocking it out of the park in running businesses and acting as managers within businesses. Mm -hmm. The returns show it. And I think companies are slowly, based on that, starting to move them up the ranks, giving them better management roles. You know, there's women billionaires all around the world now. They're good at it. It's not just an American phenomenon. What female CEO of a public company impresses you the most? You know, I would say right now you have to look at Hewlett Packard and Meg. Meg Whitman has done an incredible job taking a lot of heat in a big strategic move to take one of the most venerable and oldest corporations in America and chop it in half with an axe. It takes balls to do that. Something she said when she took over she wasn't going to do and she realized but, but and said point, we had to do this. Because she pivoted, she realized she took the new data in and yeah. she had the guts to go to her board and to all the shareholders of which I was one and say, here's what I'm going to do. That's not an easy task. And, you know, the, the proof's still in the pudding, but you can start to see the differentiation between the commodity printing business and all the other goods and services that are occurring in digital data on the other side. It's starting to work. So I admire someone who has the guts to pull that off. And she's at the upper echelon. This is an S&P 500 company. It takes a lot of kahunas to do that and stay. They're also, HP is the only publicly traded Fortune 500 company that has a female CEO, a female uh, head of the, their, their board, and female CFO. Believe me, if that hadn't have worked as well as it has, she'd be out of there. There's not a lot of, of tolerance for lack of performance these days. So why are we paid less? That is basically a legacy issue. When you think about... Um, the way it's calculated, let me explain in a public company. The compensation committee, because I've been on lots of boards and public companies on the comp committee, the audit committee, the first thing we do is go hire a consultant and say, get me all the comparables, which is a mistake. We should be paying on performance. So what happens is they run around, they find all the equivalent 
female executives in that role and say, here's the pay packages, <laughs> which makes no sense. What we should, and this is changing, by the way. Comp committees today are very sensitive to this issue. I don't think we should be paying anybody based on gender. In the past, it's a dirty little secret, it's true. So if you're hiring for mid-management, you're going and looking at what other women are making in that same role. You're not just looking at what other men and women. It was that way. You're asking me why when we look at corporate America. It's changing very quickly. Believe me, any comp member that references gender and compensation mm. today is gone. It's just not discussed that way. There's a tremendous sensitivity now to being fair about this. I want to be honest with you. I think it's because of people like you that have highlighted the issue, mm. that we're talking about it now in the press, that public companies are very concerned about this issue. I would rather base it on performance because women are doing a hell of a good job. And I'm not saying that to be, you know, gender supportive. I'm talking about real returns, right. real returns. That's all I care about. <laughs> the bottom line. Bottom line. I take money. I put it at risk. Have you, you asked your team to look at your portfolio and say what companies are making money and why? And they found that it was the women-led companies. Have you asked them to look at comp? and looked at how your female executives are being paid? Yes. And? And, and within my own companies as well. And I'm proud to say because ours are younger companies generally, these are companies that are probably three to five years old, we're very comparable. We don't have a situation, I wouldn't even allow for that. If I'm involved in a company and I see any kind of delta, in, particularly when performance is equivalent, I fix that immediately. Yeah. That makes no sense to me. This yeah. is just good business. I, particularly in sales, I've got to tell you something. Women, salespeople are really good, and I don't believe in capping salespeople. I believe in having the salespeople make the most money in a company. That's why there's a lot of well-paid women in my company. And that's not the case at all companies. Oftentimes, you do see a lot of women in those sales roles. Uh, pharmaceutical sales, for example, yes. and they don't get to the next level. Not in my companies, you don't. Level. You don't see that in my case because, frankly, it's my best interest to have people sell as much as they can sure. and perform as best as they can. We're all aligned. When you're in a private company and you have ownership in it and you sit beside management, you're agnostic to gender. You just want performance. Mm -hmm. Your mom. Yeah. Did your mother play any role in influencing you in all of this? She, yes. My, my mother changed my whole philosophy about investing and she was a very strong woman and you know she my, my dad was Irish and my mother was Lebanese descent and she was always concerned about money and when, when we were very young she worked at a company that made children made children's winter clothing called Kitty's Togs mm. and they used to pay the girls on Thursdays and she'd take my brother and I to the bank and always say to us I didn't know what she was saying at the time but it stuck with me I was seven, my brother was five when this started. She'd say, boys, never spend the principal, only the interest. And never buy a stock or bond that doesn't pay a dividend or interest. And she would drive that home. Now, decades later, when she passed away, God bless her soul, and I, be I was the older brother, I be became the executive for her estate, and I discovered an account, a secret account that she'd kept, secret both of her husbands, for 45 years invested in <laughs> dividend paying stocks and bonds of telco companies. She beat every advisor. Wow. So now I take that same philosophy to all my companies. When I invest in stocks and bonds, I only buy dividend paying stocks because my mother taught me, and here's the data, this will shock you. She was not a portfolio manager or an, anal or an analyst. Over the last 45 years during the period she was doing this, in the stock market, 71% of the returns came from dividend paying stocks not from capital appreciation. My mother intuitively knew that. 
It's changed my mind. So you look at the basis upon which we build our ETFs at O-Shares, only dividend-paying stocks. Thank you, Mom. She did that. Thank you, Mom. Yeah. So why has society bet so heavily for so long, much more on men than women when it comes to leading businesses? I'm a, I'm a student of history. If you go back to the British imperialist empire and look at the role women had before Elizabethan times, they were not in business. They were not considered mm -hmm. even to run business. They were not considered anything other than supporting procreation and managing a home. You think about that. That, that, that imperialistic attitude you can find in societies like India. So history's hard to shake, you're it's saying. Very, it takes multiple generations. And I think we're very advanced here in North America, but not as advanced as Switzerland or Denmark or Norway. I mean, my dad, my stepdad is Swiss. He lives in Geneva. You go to Switzerland, there is zero difference in a, in a Swiss company I in know. terms of compensation, board membership, politicians in the cantons. There, there are two schools of thought. There is the school of thought like the book Man Down, right. right, which is all about the rise of women means the decline of white men. And the other school of thought is that, you know, all rising tide lifts all ships. Which school of thought are you in? Does I, this mean this is bad for men? Does this mean man down? No, no. This is to me as an investor and someone who cares about entrepreneurs, the rising tide side of things. because. I try and champion young entrepreneurs, agnostic to gender, to be successful because they make me more money. I'm an investor, I'm a capitalist, and I'm proud to be one. This is the essence of what makes America so great. You want to find young entrepreneurs, you want to help them, you want to pour gasoline on their success, and you want to profit and pay it forward. And today, and you'll see this in this season of Shark Tank and certainly next season, the reason I'm backing so many women-based teams is the success I've had with them. It's the returns I've had with them. So if you, I have something called the Something Wonderful Platform that Sarah Mangolis and some of my women-led companies created. We have a platform of social media where Honey Fund, which is run by Sarah, Bottle Breacher, you know, you think about that team, a fantastic woman managing the business with Eli, the visionary for it. That's a husband-wife team, but she's the back office. Right. You know, I want to find out what's going on with the numbers, I call her. She's terrific. They're so great. you don't see it as a threat? You're saying men shouldn't see this as a threat? No, absolutely not. You want to celebrate success. I don't see that at all. I'm happy. If I were an employee today, I'd rather work for a woman. I really would. You know why? <laughs> why? Because I've learned they set goals you can achieve. <laughs> I really would. And, and today when I, when I meet advisors in the financial services industry, I love working with them. They're so pragmatic. Mm -hmm. they, they get it. So Anne-Marie Slaughter's latest book is about sort of the equivalency of care and she makes the argument that because men aren't supposed to in society or, or society doesn't value them as much for care, meaning child care, meaning care of an elderly parent, meaning care of the home, that's not as expected of them or as valued, until we get that equivalency we can't fully have equality. Do you think, for example, like I can take three months off when my baby's born? I don't know if I will, but I can, but a man can't. Should that's, that be That's equal? not true. In, the, in, a, in an advanced society today, like the countries I talked about earlier, Switzerland, Denmark, Norway, 
you as a team, as a family, decide which parent is going to stay at home. It doesn't have to be the woman. It so can be the man. Should that be what we see here? And we should do more of it because you want to be pragmatic. The breadwinner, if it's the woman, perhaps she should go out and continue to support the family. And I don't think there should be any stigma to that whatsoever. About Look, who bore the child. Sure, it doesn't matter. It's by, it, it's, that's the biology of a, of, a, of a relationship. A family is a business. That's what it is. And I think you find great management. I mean, it's, it's like you said earlier. You want something done, give it to a busy mother. <laughs> Juggling all of those challenges and raising a family. I mean, look, we are entering a new phase in America. We are now in a globally competitive world. You look at Chinese companies, women. Look at Euro companies, Germany, England, Switzerland, France, women. Let's get hip, America. Let's just compete the way they are. Let's get women running companies because it's the right thing to do to be competitive and get returns. You have 32 companies yes. in your private portfolio. 52% have female CEOs. Yeah. Do you invest in companies because they are led by women or is this just a result in of a what you In a private company, seen? it's not the CEO that matters. It's the ownership. So I don't differentiate between ownership and who the title is. CEO matters more in a public entity when you're dealing with all of the intricacies of being a public company. These are, these are small to mid-cap companies. They're either owned or run by women. And if you look at who's really running them mm -hmm. in the ownership structure, it's the women that are most concerned about risk mitigation. In other words, let's not spend that money. It's not a good idea. Let's mitigate our risk and not bring out too many products this quarter. Let's set a goal for this new product that we can achieve because she knows that if you achieve it, the morale of the company moves up. Right. Versus my men companies are all swinging for the fences trying to do stuff that, you know, well, it's okay if we make half of our goal, that's good. I want to make 110% of our goal. So I've been teaching some of the, the you know, the successes I find in my women-led or owned companies to the men saying, look, you see this company? It's returned 110% of the capital invested in two years. You've given me nothing. Why don't you talk to her and find out how she did it? Because, you know, I'm pragmatic. How did they take that? Too bad. I don't care. I want performance. Why shouldn't I? I'm, a, I'm an investor. And so I try and get my companies together every couple of quarters to talk about where our successes and where our failures have been. Men and women talking about what's working and what isn't. I've got great companies to run by, by guys and men, but I, I want to show them the successes around Sarah Mongolis or, or, you know, Wicked Good Cupcakes or the stuff that's going on with my new company, you know, Surprise Ride out of Washington run by two women, Harvard grads. These are rock star women here and they're in the subscription service business. Right. And what I try and do is, you know, I brought Sarah to meet Ariana Huffington because Ariana was really interested in, in what was happening with my sure. returns. And there the two of them were just talking about what it takes in corporate America to keep moving forward. Are you saying to the men that run companies that you're invested in, think more like the women? What I tell them is mitigate risk like the women. Look at the way they're setting goals like the women. Look at the returns I'm getting like these women. So you companies. are? Of course I am because I have pragmatic results. I've got actual tangible results. Be like a woman and get me some returns. <laughs> You've said in the past that women are often more astute investors because they are, quote, your words, less emotional. Should we throw all that garbage out the window about women being so emotional about all of our decisions? It, that, it, that is a, you know, it is such a misrepresentation of how women 
run businesses, that they're somehow emotionally different than men. They are not. They are better at basically looking at the situation mm -hmm. and carving a path of least resistance with highest return. That's my analysis. They're really good at saying, I see the next three months, I see the world has changed somehow, I'm going to take a new path. They are ready to pivot. They keep their eye on the goal, returning capital. Because it's their money. It's their capital. It's their family's money. These are private companies, remember? They own them. They've invested their money. They're sweat their time. Very often, these are family-oriented businesses where the men also have ownership but maybe not involved. Sarah is the CEO of Honey Fund. She's the top kahuna. She makes a lot of decisions, tough ones, and she's originating over $300 million now in, in the honeymoon business. Why are women so underrepresented in VC and venture capital? That's a very simple answer. If you look at venture capital, particularly in the golden age over the last 30 years, all of the firms were started by spin-out management teams that were men. You, you do not find, maybe a Heidi Rosen once in a while, you know, she's a legend out on the, in, in the Silicon Valley, but you do not find a lot of firms where the ownership of the manager, which is what it's called, are women. That's going to change. There's no question about it. Yeah. And, and, and I think that is a, a slower turn. But what, today you're, you see a lot more women-led deals in the Valley and in Boston, which are really the two heartbeats of venture capital. Other than you, who is the savviest investor? on Shark Tank. Oh, there's no question about that. It's Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> Other than you. It's hard to choose a favorite, but I always say this about Barbara, who's had some very interesting interesting successes, like, you know, Maine Cousin Lobster, for example, which is a monster hit on Shark Tank. And Lori has had some big hits, too. I hate, you know, I, I always, I make fun about Barbara. I say the only reason she makes it on time wherever she goes is I bought her a new broom. <laughs> <laughs> We fight a little bit, but, but you know, I, I would have to say, I've been, you know, Barbara's done some very interesting things in, in eclectic ways. She thinks a little differently than the other sharks. She is not as attuned to valuation like I am. We have a different style. She's willing to take more flyers, and to her credit, she's had some big successes that I would have never done. Hmm. I would have never done the deal she did. So I'm going to give her, you know, I don't like to do this too often, but I'm going to give her a little credit on that. Do you believe that there are some things in business that men do better than women? I haven't found anything lately, I'm sorry. Nothing? Not in my returns lately. Not in the last eight years. What about pitching themselves? Confidence. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to bash men, okay, because I do men deals too, but I'm trying to find an example. I don't have one for you right now. My returns are coming from women right now. So here's what we know from the data. What the numbers show is that women do not generally negotiate as hard for themselves as men do. If it means walking into Are you into sure your about that? A lot of studies show that if it meet, at a typical company, yeah. walking into your boss's office, asking for a raise, etc., it well, happens less or less that aggressively. That has not been my experience. They're pretty bold at asking really? for raises, and they don't take no for an answer. If they have performance behind them, I tend to give it to them. 
things are changing out there right now. Yeah. I don't see a lot of mild-mannered reporter women anymore. What's the best business advice a woman ever gave you? Shut up and listen. Who? My mother. You're dyslexic. Yes. You learned that at a really a pretty young age. I, I was dyslexic and very and very much so. It was very challenging for me. I couldn't read in the early ages and it really affects your your reading score and gets you pushed back. But there was a woman named Marjorie Golick who's very famous out of a university McGill with Sam Rabinovich and I became part of an experimental class. They were testing um, an idea at the time and it was my mother that got me in that class. She kind of made sure that I got in there somehow and I thank her so much for it. Their thesis went like this. You feel so weird when you're dyslexic because, and I can still do this, I can read upside down, I can read in a mirror. And what Marjorie said was, look, this is not a fault. You have a superpower. And when you're that young, you buy into that, it gives you the confidence you need. And that's what occurred to me. She gave me that confidence. And that carried you a long way. Yeah. It makes you so emotional. Why is Definitely. that? Oh, excuse me. I just I think of those things. Why is that? What is it? Let me get a Kleenex. I'm embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Ugh. I think people only see your hard shell. Yeah. And they probably think that you never ran into challenges no, those like were tough that. tough times. They were very tough times because I was I was really uh, wondering if I was ever going to make it. I it was it was you know those were very tough times. I was failing. Uh, there was a lot of panic in my own family. Um, my teachers weren't sure, and I knew it was a uh, it was I was very lucky. I was very lucky, and I meet lots of dyslexic people today, and I give them encouragement because it's it is a superpower. That's what I say. But those were tough times two strong women in my life, my mother and Marjorie Golick. Is Marjorie still alive? She is. She's written many books about this. Uh, Sam is dead, Sam Rabinovich. She's a legend today. If you Google dyslexia, you'll find her name all through it and Sam Rabinovich. They changed the way we deal with dyslexia and how we, we, we teach people. Have you called her recently? I have. Good. I talked to her. Good. Um, I, I met her daughter by half and chance and um, it was really amazing to go back. She wanted me to, to come back and, and talk to researchers. And I got to tell you something, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to revisit that pain. Huh. I, I wanted to push you, it back. But at least you speak publicly about it. I do. So it but, encourages but it, other people. Any dyslexic that remembers the tough times, I don't want to go back there. I want to think about what's left in what I do going forward. I know it's part of who I am. Damon John is also dyslexic. You talk about that. Uh, it doesn't hold you back in business. The founder of JetBlue was dyslexic. Yeah. I run into all kinds of dyslexics now, and, I, and we're champions of our causes, but I don't want to go back and think about it. I don't, mm -hmm. it's just one of those things I want to, and that was, you know, Marjorie said, you really should. We'd like to know more about, you know, how you dealt with it through the, the time you ran business. I said, I don't want to do it. Yeah. I just want to just deal with what I've got. I've got enough problems today to work on. All the women I got to work with. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Boss Files. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Poppy Harlow CNN.
We all do things our own way, and since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.